Welcome to this week's edition of An Hour of Your Life. My name is Kim. And I am Steve. And in the studio tonight, we have Pamela. Pamela, welcome. Thank you. Yeah. So tonight's topic is going to be about health insurance. And it's not about health insurance of like what plan you need to get, but the general whole aspect of health insurance. Is that a fair way to say this? Yeah, I think so. Just industry things that not everybody might know about okay. health insurance. Before we start, though, like before we get into it, get into it, I just wanted to say a thank you to everyone who voted for us in Best of Dayton. We didn't win, but it's okay because actually the one, the uh, show that I really, I think that we both really, really wanted to win, Fifth and Ludlow, did take first place. That was a really good story. It, so congratulations. We listened to it on our way to Washington, D.C. a couple weeks ago, and mm-hmm. it just held our interest the entire time. Made an easy trip to D.C. They worked very hard. That was the culmination of two years' worth of research and work. And so yeah. congratulations to our friends at Fifth and Ludlow. Congratulations, Fifth and Ludlow. All right. Okay, let's talk about insurance. So now, some people may think insurance is a dry topic, but you know what? It's a... It's something that's going on. You have to have the health insurance. You need it Mm -hmm. because, I mean, just to go to the doctor, if there's a major catastrophe and everyone says, oh, it'll never happen to me, but, you know, you can just be driving down the road and someone T-bones you. Next thing you know, you're in the hospital and you're worrying about your health insurance. Also, I think most of you, I think I've mentioned on the show before that I'm back in school for medical coding and proof that it is not a dry topic, there is a there is a medical code for your in-laws. So, like, if you have a heart attack because of something your in-laws did, like, stressed you out or whatever, there's a code for that. So it's not necessarily a dry topic. Well, Pamela, would you like to give us just a general overview of the health insurance industry? Um, yeah, I'm sure. So I work for a revenue cycle management company, and we do everything related to hospital billing from the from the hospital side, obviously. Um, we also do physician, but that's really not my forte. So, um, what okay. revenue cycle? What does that mean? So, revenue cycle is everything from the patient financial services related to that. So, from registration all the way through to the coding, the billing the collections, and even into denials management. So you okay. don't actually work with patients? Um, Actually, we do have some, uh, a portion that does work with patients. Anything like registration, scheduling, they do work directly with our patients. That's cool. And, and to be clear, with what you do, it's not about selling health insurance to, like, I can't go to you and say, I want to buy this policy. You work with it at the level up above that, up above sales. Um, we actually, we don't work with the health insurance at all. We represent the hospital. So, ah, okay. so we're the advocates for the patients in the hospitals and the physician groups. Well, that makes sense. But So you try to get money from the insurance company. We try to get money from the insurance company. Not saying they're the bad guys, but they're the bad guys in this situation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that, if, if everyone can understand that. So that does kind of make you the subject matter expert here, especially amongst us, and how the <laughs> yeah. health insurance works. So you you have a good broad base understanding of how health insurance works. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a pretty mighty beast, the health insurance uh, situation in America and just the U.S. health system in general. But um, there's a lot of people that do what I do to try to understand that. Um, so I'm hoping to bring a little insight to that crazy world. Yeah. Okay. So what types of plans are out there? That's a really good question. Um, I think everybody remembers the HMO scandal, not really a scandal, but 
when the health maintenance organizations were introduced, they were not very popular. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, some of them, we've had more evolve out of that. Um, obviously, there's two government-sponsored and your commercial insurances that everybody's pretty familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the government would be your Medicare's, Medicaid's, and we even have a couple like TRICARE and VA. Um, but your employer-sponsored, your commercials would be like your HMOs, your PPOs. Um, and those are the two primary ones that you'll deal with. Um, and so, like, if I work for a company, mm-hmm. Company X, I'm going to pay a portion or a portion of my paycheck is going to go to my health insurance. But the company, what you're talking about, the company is going to pay for a significant portion of my yeah. health insurance. Yeah, absolutely. So you're, um, any company that has over 50 employees is required to cover its full-time employees. Um, so they choose your plan. So if you don't like what you're paying, it's not the hospital and it's really not necessarily the insurance company. It's, it's your employer that chose that plan for you. Um, so they can pick, usually they pick some kind of a network. The most popular is a PPO. Um, and And that's, what is a PPO? Sure. A PPO is your, uh, preferred provider organization. And that's where you have a network. Um, you don't, you do have your primary care, but you're not required to go through them like you are with an HMO. So that's the biggest difference between the two. A primary care is your gatekeeper. So in an HMO, you have to get a referral for everything. In a PPO, you can choose to see a specialist on your own. Um, so that's like what we're used to almost being on TRICARE military. Um, we live close to an air force base. And so because we are on military insurance, uh, generally if we want to go see somebody outside of the air force base, then we have to get get a permission from our primary care. Now we do, we have listeners literally all around the world. So this is the United States health system. And this a question completely out of the blue. Do you know of any other countries that have anything similar to what we do? Or so there's no countries um, identical to what we do. A lot of what you'll see with our that are comparable, like Western societies. Um, there's some that have some kind of a government sponsor plan, um, like Great Britain. They have their their own insurance through the government, but then they still have private. Germany is a prime example where they do have a lot of private insurers, but they still do have some kind of a government-sponsored plan. So that's probably the closest to us, but um, we don't have any universal health care in the U.S. Okay. Now, everyone really, and I have a hard time understanding this. Can you explain the Affordable Care Act? Uh, and like, and <laughs> how much time do we have? <laughs> we have one hour of your life in like okay. the, the Reader's Digest one to two minute version here. Oh, gosh. But oh, that, that's pressure. OK, um, you can go to five. OK, <laughs> <laughs> so the Affordable Care Act was um, one of the biggest things. If you look in the, the past century is really where American health insurance took shape. Um, and it was probably the second biggest thing to ever happen to it, aside from Medicare and Medicaid in the 60s. Mm. So what the Affordable Care Act did, it's actually the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act is its full name. It was passed in 2010, and it was dubbed Obamacare as kind of a a, a nickname with a little bit of a different connotation. <laughs> um, and there were a lot of good things that came from it that I don't think people realize, that it wasn't just an expensive plan for middle America. Um, they introduced the marketplace, which is those government-sponsored plans, but they're they're still from private insurers, so they're a good bridge 
for people that are private contractors or who are self-employed or... Now, let me interrupt you for just for a second because um, I have heard Kim's that... Kim's good at that. I am. Sorry. <laughs> I have heard that Marketplace initially was very difficult to navigate. Have they improved that? Yes. Yeah, so we'll have to kind of go back to that if, if you sure. don't mind, because yeah. a lot changed um, in the newest administration. So in gotcha. 2017-ish, it did. Um, it was kind of that repeal and replace, but it never fully took shape. But there mm. were some changes made. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, Marketplace was very difficult to navigate. It still has the same tiers. You'll see like the gold, the platinum. Um, and really, that's just based on your income and how much you want to pay. So the faults with the Affordable Care Act um, really fell into the people that were above the Medicaid lines, the federal poverty lines that they required for that, but still couldn't afford the the coverage that was being offered to them. So it wasn't really affordable. Okay, so I live in the United States, and I understand basically Medicare and Medicaid. So before we go on with the Affordable Care Act, can you explain... Just, again, very briefly, the difference between Medicaid and Medicare. Yeah, sure. So Medicare is um, meant for people, um, elder care, and but it's also for people on disability, Social Security, um, and there's a couple other things like end-stage renal disease that's covered by Medicare. Um, but for the most part, that's the one you receive when you're Social Security eligible. Uh, Medicaid is a state-sponsored um, low-income insurance. So that's the one that you would use, you would have to apply for, and it varies by state. Okay, I'm going to just going to be bouncing all over, so state. So are there differences between Medicaid in the state of Ohio and, say, Medicaid in Kentucky? Yes, very much. There's actually huge differences between those two states. Um, it, it's There's a baseline. The federal government has set out that you must meet certain, certain baselines with your Medicaid programs, um, and it did offer a Medicaid expansion program a few years back, where the federal government could chip in a little extra if you chose to expand it. Um, and there there was a couple lawsuits that came from that. But um, ultimately, only a few states chose not to expand. But there are big differences. So your state can go above and beyond the minimum, just like our education programs or anything like that. Okay. I'm not going to interrupt. And <laughs> we're going to let you go ahead. Shenanigans. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. And try to explain the Affordable Care Act. I'm going to let you get it out. And I'm going to write down my questions okay. and I'll come back to you. <laughs> no, no. I guess the best, the, the thing to remember is the Affordable Care Act did bring some really, really good things that it doesn't really get enough attention for, I think. Um, for instance, insurance companies can no longer turn down applicants for a pre-existing condition. They can no longer cap your coverage if you get something catastrophic, like if you have cancer or a diagnosis that requires really expensive treatment. Um, They can't drop you if you spend too much money from their program. Um, Also, 80 to 85% of their um, premiums that they collect has to go back to their health plans. Anything over that is to return to their customers as a rebate. So so there is a lot, um, and more than that, so... There really was a lot of good that came from the ACA. It wasn't all bad. It, it just really got a lot of negative attention because there was that tax penalty that you had to pay, right. which which was repealed in 2019, I believe. It's been gone for about a year or two now, um, so that's no longer a thing. But it also got a lot of negative attention because there were those middle-class Americans that it really wasn't affordable for them because obviously – you know, a lot of people got extra coverage that they didn't have before, which was amazing, but that expense had to go somewhere. Yeah. So that's where it was absorbed. Yeah. And that, I think that same group of Americans, I, it, it seems like that same, like, 
solid middle-class America gets a brunt of the the things that come from the federal government. Like it's the same in, in my industry, in the childcare industry, it's the same. Like there are opportunities for assistance with childcare for really low income families, but then daycare is really expensive. And if you make too much to get title 20, but you don't make enough to pay for daycare, Yep. Where are you at? And well, it's the same with health, health insurance. insurance is the exact same way. And you'll notice that some employers do make it income based. In fact, a lot of them, are, they're really truly required to only make your premium, your portion, a percentage of your income. But there's a lot of expenses that are ancillary to your premium that aren't necessarily factored in. Okay, So I think it'd be fair to say, so this legislation, the Affordable Care Act came out, it was out there. And like with a lot of legislation, it's being Im- it, it came out, but now it's being improved on. So you, is it better now than it was when first initiated? Um, I I would venture to say yes, because the costs have stabilized. You saw a lot of high deductible plans that you don't really see anymore. Um, but there are still things that we can improve on. I, I definitely think the American health system is is broken. There's no pretty way to put that, but... Um, I think it's in a better state now than it was in the early 2000s when the insurance companies were really just running the show and were putting a lot of legislation in and a lot of controls, I guess, to to keep that from happening. Should young people consider a different plan than older people? Yeah, that, um, absolutely. I, I think it's not necessarily an age base, but it comes with what your current health is. So if you're in good health and you really only need preventative care, so you're your annual visit, your vaccines, things like that. And yes, you should get your vaccines. <laughs> I just want to put that plug in. Um, you could probably get away with a, a low premium and a high deductible where you would be paying most of your costs, but you know, your, your primary care is covered. So, and you have catastrophic care if you need it, but um, as you age and you have more dynamic situations and you have more expensive things, um, and that's not necessarily just for people aging. That, that happens to a lot of people with chronic conditions, too, of any age. Um, you really need to consider a plan that's going to give you the most robust coverage, which will probably mean a higher premium, um, but it's less out of pocket if something catastrophic happens. Yeah, I used to wonder why older people got old and cranky. Now I know. <laughs> Your body hurts. Yeah, they, it hurts, and you haven't had to deal with Medicare yet, so that's probably <laughs> another reason why. Uh, okay, so I got something to look forward to. Yay! <laughs> the the best advice, and I can talk more about Medicare if you'd like. That's uh, you know, one of my favorite topics. But the best advice I can offer for people planning for retirement age is to look into the supplements and the replacement plans, um, especially the the supplemental plans, because it, it'll kick in and pay a lot more than what just Medicare does, and. I don't think a lot of people know to shop around for those additional things on top of their Medicare coverage. Okay. So who can you trust when you're looking for those plans? Um, because, I mean, I think you see so many of those commercials on TV for, like, older people that this works with your Part B Medicare. I mean, do you, is it, can you trust the the TV commercials or are there local, local, people that you can talk to to get advice? Oh, that's a good question. So I don't work so much on the sales, but there are definitely brokers out there and that would kind of be your own, I guess, judgment. The best thing though, Medicare guidelines are, are public. You can Google any of this. When you start looking into the commercial plans, like your AARPs are pos- the, the, a popular plan, mm-hmm. you really have to get in there and read the plan details. And th- 
you know, it's not necessarily whether the person's trustworthy. You know, they're not trying to swindle you, but they are trying to sell to you. Sure. So it's not that you're going to get, you know, something pushed over on you, but you might end up with a plan that you can't use as well as another one. So um, I would find a broker that doesn't have any any stake in the game that can just offer you an unbiased opinion on the the best plans for your situation. Well, like we always say, do your you research, research and educate, and educate yourself. yourself. Yeah, that, exactly. Yeah, that's a very fair statement in health insurance. If you don't mind, can we switch to payment? Like, I, as we were talking, you mentioned something about payment methodologies. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So yeah, um, that's a really good question. Um, with I mean, you, you brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Well, never mind. Well, that's something that you know you should really truly know about is how your health insurance is paying. Um, one thing I don't know if everybody realizes, and I'm sure you know most people do, but just in case that hospitals and physicians bill separately. So um, a hospital will collect its money, and your physician will collect its money, and it's always on two separate claims. Um, there's also a difference in your status. So you can have your outpatient claims and your inpatient claims, which changes how your the hospital will get its payment. What's the difference between inpatient and outpatient claims? Sure. So an outpatient is any kind of um, a visit. You It's less than 72 hours. Um, it could be like your scheduled visit if you go in for like a CT scan or something like that. Um, even an emergency department visit is considered outpatient, but it's its own class. And I hope it is. Yes. Well, and then there's um, observation is where they can hold you up to 72 hours. And that's where, you know, you're not severe enough to be admitted to the hospital, but they need to watch you. Um, But that's also considered outpatient. Okay. Inpatients where you're fully admitted to the hospital, and that's where they no longer bill in an itemized um, fashion. So they're not charging you for each little thing like your ibuprofen and your IV and your nurse hours or anything like that. They're now charging you for your diagnosis. So it's... Um, Medicare has something called your a DRG, a diagnosis-related group, and whatever your diagnosis is is what cl- puts you into that DRG. And most commercial health insurances follow this plan too. So um, you're getting paid on like a one you know basis, and then your room and board. So it, it, it technically becomes cheaper than paying it itemized, but you're there longer, so you pay more. So it's it's kind of like college. You're going to pay a rate between say 12 and 18 hours it's going to be the same rate i mean yeah follow yeah my logic on I, that i'm one. following your logic so if you're there you're going to pay by day basically and it's going to be more or less expensive based on how severe your diagnosis is and but you can still get billed by the doctor individually for that yeah so you would d- still get billed by the doctor individually so if you saw a, an attending physician if uh, usually a hospitalist would be who you're seeing if you're inpatient and then maybe a specialist too um, they would bill if you had to get any kind of imaging and your physician wasn't certified to read that type like if they weren't certified for your CT scan then they would send it off to a radiologist and you would get a third bill from that person so mm. Um, that's something to watch out for. And, but the professional charges are much less typically than your hospital charges. Okay. And how much liability, and I guess that would actually depend on the plan you have, but patient liability, if you have to go to the hospital and you're in the hospital, how much liability do you have with a, with a generic plan? 
Um, so it, it varies so, so widely. It just depends on your insurance. Um, if you, most insurances now have a deductible, which is what you pay first. Um, after you meet your deductible, then you have possibly a copay. It just depends if you have one for just routine visits or if you have one for emergency visits too. Um, and you also might have coinsurance, which is a, a percentage that you cost share. So it could be 10 or 15%, some are up to 20% that whatever your total charges are, you're always going to pay that till you meet your max. Okay. Can you explain caps? I mean, I've seen some plans, they say, you know, you have a $3,000 a year cap or a $5,000 a year cap. Sure. And that's confusing to me. Yeah, no, we call them max out-of-pockets. Um, you'll see it abbreviated. It, it looks like MOOP, M-O-O-P. <laughs> um, so that's what you're looking for. Sounds like poop. It does sound like poop, but it, it's not poop usually. It's, this is usually good for the patient. Um, that's the most that you will ever have to pay for your insurance for that year. So if you meet your deductible, say it's $3,000, and then you've paid X amount for your coinsurance with each visit, and then you hit your max out of pocket of five thousand. You will no longer have to pay if you continue going to the doctor after so that. So no matter what, no if matter you get what, hospitalized and they have to do fifteen MRIs on you, you're still you've good. met your max. That's all. That's all you would have to pay for that year. And then and the insurance pays the rest of it. The insurance picks up the rest. Gotcha. And so obviously, you're you when you pick your plan, you know you I, pick a good moop. Make a good move a plan yeah. where I'm going to pay three thousand dollars, a cap of three thousand dollars versus ten thousand dollars. I'll probably pay less by the month for the ten thousand dollar plan. Yeah, usually they don't make the plans based on the max out of pocket. It's more your deductible and coinsurance that you really need to watch because um, unless you you know going into a year that you have a lot of expenses, if you have a chronic condition. Um, or something that you have to get regular treatment where you might be at risk of hitting your max out of pocket, then I would look at it. But if you're just the average person who goes for your primary care, maybe a couple visits when you fall sick, um, an emergency room here or there, um, I would pay more attention to your deductible and your coinsurance to to know how much you should pay. Now let me ask you a, kind of a follow-up question on something that you said earlier. Um, you said that with ACA they can no longer deny you because of a pre-existing condition. Correct. If if you choose, though, to... Let's say I have lupus, for example, and I choose to switch from my insurer to another insurer, can that... The fact that I have lupus, can that other insurer charge me more? Like, they can't deny me, but can they charge me more? No. So the only thing that insurance companies can charge more for is age. Um, and they can't charge more than three times what they would a, a, a younger person. Sounds so, like a little discrimination to me. <laughs> it's <laughs> discrimination, but the the truth of yeah, the matter is that fair discrimination. It, it's a skewed system, and and we do everybody as a community has a cost share that's involved in your insurance, and we're we're paying for people that are on the the other end of the scale. Unfortunately, is the chronic conditions they cost a little more. <laughs> okay, so. I had to go to the emergency room, and before the insurance worked it all out, I was getting a bill from the hospital, which was astronomical. Yep. But then when I turned it over, to, when my insurance finally started to cover it, they were talking about pre-authorization. So it went from like I'm making like a five thousand dollar bill to where because of this pre-authorization, my insurance company, I guess a pre-based agreement it was only like 750 bucks so so yeah so that's a really good 
good thing to pick up. There's a lot of things that are at play in that situation right there. So um, insurance is any kind of a commercial insurance. So your Aetna's, your Anthem's, your Cigna's, the, the big main health insurances um, will make deals with a hospital. So they contract um, and make them a partner. So they, they have a contracted rate that they're going to pay that hospital. Um, when you go, well, an emergency situation would be a little bit different. You typically don't need a pre-authorization because it's an emergency. But say um, you were admitted inpatient where you were severe enough from the emergency room that you had to stay. Mm-hmm. The hospital has to contact the um, insurance company. They will get your inpatient days authorized. Um, basically, they're saying this person's expected to be here for so many days and we need you to pay for it. Um in an outpatient setting, like if you had to get a procedure done, that would all have to be pre-authorized. So um, there's some some things that don't have to, like an x-ray might not have to. It just depends on your plan um, and like your, your routine care, like mammos and things like that wouldn't necessarily have to be authorized. But um, like a sleep study. So if your doctor says, hey, Steve, you need to go in because you snore and keep Kim awake, um, accurate. <laughs> hmm. Your, your doctor hmm. might write a referral to a specialist who might order a sleep study. So how does that work? All right, just to be perfectly clear here, <laughs> when Kim snores, oh, she stop. thinks it's cute. Cause it's like little cute snores, no. like little baby snores. Snoring's never cute. <laughs> we can, we can go there. So yeah, if you were referred for a sleep study, you would get an order for that doctor and then they take that order, which has Basically, a diagnosis in the in the the procedure, the sleep study on it, and they send it to your insurance company, and the insurance company will look at it and say, "Well, you know, we need the documentation for this." So somebody will send them all of your we call them clinicals, all the documentation, and they say, "Okay, well, yep, this is supported based on the documentation and the diagnosis." So they authorize it. Um, if they don't, they might come back and request something called a peer to peer. Um, which is where our people call their people. So we have a doctor get on the line. Um, all health insurances have their own clinical staff too. So they do their own internal review. Um, so ours would talk to theirs and say, no, look, this is justified and here's why. So this would all happen in advance. Um, but if for instance, if you had a procedure that didn't necessarily get authorized, like if you didn't know it had to be done, Um, or if they changed it, like if you went in for a biopsy and they took something from your left side and then said, oh, we better take something from your right too, um, we can go back and do a retro authorization. So they'll still take authorizations after the fact. Well, that's a good... That's good to know. Yeah, and it it brings up a good segue right here is what do you do if your claim gets denied? That's a great question. So you need to ask for the EOB, your explanation of benefits, which is going to tell you what it denied for. It's probably going to be a very vague reason because they use codes, um, just one generic reason on why it was denied. And then you can either contact the hospital, but your first step should be to contact the insurance company and and ask why, what happened. Usually um, it could be something as simple as the hospital just needs to submit an itemized bill. They want to see everything that they're being charged for or they need to submit medical records. So they want to review your case further. Um, But it could be, you know, the diagnosis didn't match up with the procedure. So they're saying that what was wrong with you didn't justify what they did. So you contact the hospital at that point, which they're probably already working on it. um, But there's ways to fight it. So you can get your coding changed. Um, 
sometimes they'll deny if you haven't signed your own explanation of benefits for them for a while. So if you have like a, a medical mutual or an anthem, they want you to sign a form saying that, yep, you're my primary insurance still because they want to know if you have a spouse who's covering you so they don't have to pay all the time. Gotcha. Um, so they might deny for that too. Um, you really just have to kind of call to find out, but always ask for the EOB. Okay. Is there a way to save money on your hospital bill, bills with like discounts, HSAs, financial Just assistance? Talking to the hospital, like we have, um, I, I know that a lot of times we've had people in our lives who owe hospital bills for whatever, and you know they weren't able to pay them because of job situations or whatever, and then they called the hospital and said, hey, can I set up a payment plan or whatever? And then the hospital looked at it and was like, actually, we can take a little bit off your bill. So yeah, no, that's a really good question. Um, there's a lot of ways to prepare and some ways to save too um, off of your bill. So an HSA is available if you have a high deductible plan. Um, there's also FSAs, the flex savings accounts, um, which are a little more common and basically it's just pre-tax income that you set aside for yourself. So you can always use those. And sometimes even your employer might contribute a little bit, but it just depends on uh, the plan itself. Um, also, there are discounts that you can ask for. Um, a lot of, well, not a lot, but hospitals are required to have a financial assistance program. Um, so that can be anything. They all have to have a self-pay discount. So if you have no insurance, you are entitled to a self-pay discount. The rest of them, um, a lot offer like a, a prepay discount. There's some that offer a past balance discount. You just have to ask, um, call their customer service reps, and that's what they're trained to do. So they can tell you, you know, yep, you're eligible for this, but it's one of those things like the secret Starbucks menu that they, <laughs> they, they're not going to advertise it, but you do. If you ask, they'll tell you that they have it. So if I go to the emergency room and I need stuff, can we reach <laughs> into Kim's pocketbook and use one of her Band-Aids and pay, not pay like $20 for a Band-Aid? So, I mean, that's a, that's a tough joking. question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're not going to charge you for the Band-Aid, but um, I will say this is a good time to, I guess, give my other plug about using the emergency department as primary care. Um, it's unfortunate for people that don't have insurance because the, the emergency department is the only place that won't turn you away. They're not allowed to. There's, there's EMTALA, which is um, an act that, you know, you have to be stabilized and they have to make sure that you're good before they can send you away. They can't transfer you to another hospital and say, we're not taking this patient. Um, but yeah, so a lot of people will go to the emergency department for like a sinus infection or for a Band-Aid um, and it's going to be a lot more expensive there because it's the emergency room. And that's they absorb all of those patients that can't pay. So that's a, a big reason why it's more expensive there. Hmm. All right. Now. Is there, so can you explain a difference between urgent care and the emergency room? No, that's a great question. Um, so urgent care is a good bridge um, to use before the emergency room. You'll have a copay typically just like the emergency room. But it's for something like, um, you know, your non-emergent care where you can't necessarily wait for your primary care. You should be seen, but you're not going to, you, you know, meet your demise anytime soon. So The flu. The flu. So when I pick up the coronavirus next week, I should go to urgent care 
yes, if it's something viral and you, all of your vitals are good, um, you know, if you don't have any significant indicators, and I know you all Google these things, so <laughs> um, I won't even go over them, but if it's nothing emergent, but you should be seen as a priority, go to urgent care. And worst case, if you guessed wrong, they'll send you to the emergency room if you are severe enough to go. We had that happen with Steve with your mom when she came to visit one time. Yes, we did. Uh, she was a, uh, She had like a hard time with something and we took her to urgent care and they said, no, this is, this is probably hospital worthy. And they got an ambulance out there and took her to the hospital and yep. she ended up having a visit. Yep. And that's, um, another thing to a lot of plans have that you might not know about. If you have a high, uh, copay for the emergency room, like you might have to pay $350 every time you visit the emergency room, you might have a nurse's line that if you call first and speak to them, they might reduce your copay. So some plans have that written in that you'll only have to pay $100 if the nurse says go to the emergency room. So That's so call the nurse's line first. Check your plan. Is that something that you would know about or is this something you really need to read the fine print on your plan? Um, you really need to read the print on your plan. If you've ever gone to one of your employer's health like markets or, um, you know, they might have a bazaar or something like that, but they'll set out their, all of their books from HR, read that plan. A lot of them publish them online too, but they're usually like 50, 60, 70 pages long and they explain how everything works. So you might have a quick little flyer that talks about your deductible and your copay, but you won't necessarily get all those details about that. So read it when you pick your plan. So this is not like when you get a new cell phone and you just agree to the terms and conditions. <laughs> like you need to actually read yes. the terms and conditions with your health. You need to read the terms and conditions because you're stuck with it for a whole year. You can't switch health insurance companies between years. You have to wait for the new enrollment period or a qualifying life event, which would be like a new job. A new job, a new baby. So why is that? Why can you only enroll? I mean, we have computers now. Why can you only enroll, say, in the month of December? Um, that would be on the health insurance side. I'm not really sure other than, you know, it keeps it stable for that year. So you pick your plan for the whole year. You're that You know, you have those annual premiums. You have the deductibles and everything. So it would be really hard for you to switch costs and liabilities in the middle of the year. That Is it just sense. for the, the company and billing to... It, it wouldn't be on the hospital side. It's all on the insurer side. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah it, it's, sense. you know, they want you to commit for a year. And, you know, if you still have the same employment, you, you're stuck with what your employer can offer you. So you really can't switch unless you have something else. I would think of it almost like an apartment lease. You know, when you lease an apartment, it's generally a year lease because the apartment has... Um, you know, they have built into the cost of their rent that this is how much it costs to operate your heating system or your water bill or whatever. And so if you break your lease, then ahead of time, then you're, you messed up their business system yeah. and their calculations. So, I've, I mean, that's maybe not the best example, but I mean, technically the way it works, I, I can't speak from the insurance side, but they have a cost share. So they, they have calculations that they have figured out into their business model, like you said, that we have X amount of beneficiaries. They're going to use X amount of services. So this is what we have to enroll and this is what we can pay out to be at these percentages. And they're highly regulated too. So there's a lot of reg tape that goes into it and I'm definitely not smart enough to speak about <laughs> it. Well, are you ready to talk about babies? Oh, babies. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> talk, let's talk about babies. Are there specific things if you are a young couple, childbearing age, 
are there specific things or things you should look at in your plan about maternity and so yeah there is prenatal and all that good stuff yes definitely there's a lot that you should consider um a hot topic is a uh, fertility treatment so a lot of plans don't cover it there are some and i know tricare actually does now but um you really need to read that if that's something that you might need to use in the future that that you might be paying that entirely out of pocket um the other thing is to look at actually preparing for childbirth prenatal care is pretty um pretty widely accepted and covered in insurance plans, but the hospital stays and the baby itself, you know, those things vary widely from your plan. So you talk to the hospital too and talk to your doctor. You need to ask, where do you deliver? And you need to make sure that both your hospital and your doctor are covered by your plan. And then you can talk to the hospital too. A lot of them do case rates where they'll say, okay, hey, you're going to give a birth to a baby. So if it's just a normal delivery, you know, you don't use the, you don't need a C-section or anything um, out of the ordinary, we'll charge X amount of dollars and you can start paying on that now. And, you know, regardless of what you do or what happens outside of those expensive procedures like a C-section, this is your rate. So that's something you can do and start paying ahead and get a discount. Well, say, can a, an 80-year-old couple that needs health insurance, can they say, we really don't need any maternity care? Or is that just going to be built into every plan? It's If it's employer-sponsored, it's built into every plan. So they've picked a plan that they think is the best plan for their employees. So they can't really parse it out by each individual. Now, if you're shopping for like a marketplace, and if you're 80, you're probably looking more at a Medicare plan, which isn't going to cover that, but you never know. <laughs> I don't know if Medicare covers it. I guess they might because they don't just cover... The elderly, they do cover other things, so I should look that up. Okay, so you said that you, you need to talk to the doctor, the labor and delivery doctor. You need to talk to to make sure that they are going to be, your plan will cover them. Yes, yes. So that's a trick of the, it's not really a trick that the hospitals do, but it's something that your insurance might not tell you about is if the hospital's in network and you're treated by a doctor that's not, you might still be billed and stuck paying for that total the, from the doctor's charges. So okay. make sure they're both covered by your insurance. Okay, so you know this because you work in this industry. How is everyday Joe supposed to know all this stuff? <laughs> by Re listening to our podcast. By listening to the podcast, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, some of it's live and learn, but really you just need to read your plan and know that if you have something that involves in and out of network you have got to check before you get any kind of service done that it's covered. Emergency rooms are a different, um, you know, a different thing. They're they're covered, but um, you know, anything that's scheduled before you get anything done, call your insurance if you ever have any doubt. Make sure Doctor X is covered and Hospital X is covered. Okay, so woman goes in for what's expected to be a routine, if there's any routine labor and delivery, and now there's a problem, and they have to do a C-section. Now what happens? They'll bill you the case. If they're doing a case rate, then they'll just bill you for anything that's over and above that. So, um, you know, not every hospital offers those, but a lot of them do is like a, hey, come, we're known for our maternity care, so come buy our package. But, you know, they, they understand that that happens too. So they're, they'll just bill you separately for that typically. No. And it seems like this is a good, this might be a good time to bring it up um, because I think it's, you see a lot of it in labor and delivery more so than any other... Field, I guess, 
But homeopathic versus traditional. If you are one of those women who wants to do like a water birth with a doula, for example. And take your CBD oils. And take your CBD oils with you. I mean, are there insurance plans for for people that try to... Because, And I know this is like a big deal right now. And like it's popular plant-based this and healthy that and so on and so forth. Are there insurance plans for people? For people that are like that, that are that have sort of a non-traditional worldview and want to do things a little bit old-fashioned-y, I guess. Um, oh gosh, so I don't know. I'm sure I know they're starting to cover more. Um, doulas are occasionally covered, um, but you know, a lot of it's going to be out of your own pocket. Now, the things that the hospital offers, like your, the water birth and stuff like that, typically, you know, they're not going to necessarily charge extra for part of their delivery. So. A lot of them, that's their incentive to come deliver there is they'll say, hey, we have this birthing center. We can offer you the the tubs. We've got the balls. We've got all these things that you can use. We're not going to charge you extra for using these equipment. It's part of the package that we have. Gotcha. Um, but if you do want something that, you know, like a home birth and you're going to have your, your doula there with you and, you know, that's you're going to be paying for that all yourself because I don't know any insurance company that would take that liability. Yeah. 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 Well, no. So midwives are actually certified with the nurse, um, that they will pay, but doulas are, are a different type of certification where they, they probably won't. It's kind of like chiropractic. Some of it's covered, some of it's not. You really just have to read the details and it is becoming more widely accepted, but you know, again, no hospital and no insurance company is going to take on the liability. If you choose to deliver, at home in your bathtub with right. your friend and instead of going to the hospital with a, a certified, <laughs> you know, medical professional, now, medical yeah. professional. Yeah. We, we were talking pain medications. Let me be perfectly clear right now. Kim, if I'm in the emergency room and but I'm in pain, I don't, don't um, let, don't let them treat me. I don't want to talk about this. Don't let them treat me with this, this or that. I want my morphine. I want some Vicodin. I, I don't want the pain. So okay. just understand that. <laughs> okay, okay, I thought that was going on a different tangent. Okay. No. <laughs> was no. this going to Kim's mistake? We're not talking about it. <laughs> there was a time when Kim tried to uh, mess with uh, with Steve's prescriptions and almost killed Unintentionally, him. <laughs> Unintentionally. And I didn't almost kill him. I just gave him an upset to me. Luckily, she's just coding these things now and not, not administering. <laughs> Moving on. Moving Answer on. the question. There is a difference between... Uh, um, Muscle relaxer and Percocet. Whatever. You are fine. (laughs) It's fine. Okay. Moving on, as Kim said. (laughs) the question was. was. So if you're poor and you're not insured, what do you do? So if you're not insured, back to the point that every hospital is required now to have a self-insured discount. So it varies by the... By each hospital, I've seen it up to 50 or 60%. I've seen it as low as like 20 or 30%. But ask, um, and they should do that automatically if you tell them that you don't have insurance. Um, You can set up a payment plan. Call customer service and tell them you need a payment plan and they'll work with you. Um, There's things like care credit. I wouldn't recommend going into debt, but unfortunately, healthcare is the biggest cause for bankruptcy so yes um medical bills are one of the biggest reasons people file bankruptcy and it's unfortunate that we have to deal with this and people live like this but um yeah you know plan for any expense that you're going to need i I strongly encourage you not to be (laughs) uninsured but you know it happens and it's unavoidable sometimes because health insurance is expensive but 
um, ask the hospital if you, you know, if you find yourself in a situation where you can't afford insurance, hospitals have financial assistance. So you might meet that criteria to get assistance from the hospital. Every nonprofit hospital has a charity program and they're above the federal poverty lines usually. So even if you don't qualify for Medicaid, you might qualify for um, their assistance program. So it, it never hurts to ask and apply. Let's talk a little bit about Medicare for a second. And when you're aging, um, I know this is something that we kind of dealt with a little bit when my grandparents went into assisted living. And because P- Medicare paid for part of their assisted living expenses and then like nursing home expenses and so on and so forth, but there were limits and caps and how much they had in the bank versus how much Medicare would pay for. Can you explain all of that? Cause it can get really confusing. It can get incredibly confusing. So Medicare by itself, we call it traditional Medicare. It comes with just a basic coverage. Um, to get any kind of a long-term care, it does have it built into the plan, but it has to be specific criteria. So just a nursing home, they're not really going to pay for it. They might pay for some services, um, but they're not going to pay for any kind of assisted living, memory care, anything like that. But, you know, if you have a qualifying event where you need skilled care, so now you're going to a skilled nursing facility for so, so like, many days. For like Alzheimer's? Yeah, so if you go to like an Alzheimer's facility, they have a lot of these now. Medicare probably won't pay for it, or they might only pay for a small portion of it. Hmm. Uh, Medicare by itself isn't the best coverage. It's It's got primary care. It does have hospital days um, built into it, and it does have days built in for like skilled nursing, um, some home health. It's got hospice coverage, things like that, but it's really only meant for that hospital coverage. So if you're doing you know, these assisted living type situations with just a nursing home and not skilled care, they're, they're probably not going to pay. So it's interesting too, that you bring up Alzheimer's because, um, so it's Alzheimer's is a topic that is kind of close to my heart because both of my grandparents had it. I'm a high risk factor for it. Um, I, but once you, I mean, there's not really, there's not a cure for it. There's very little treatment for Alzheimer's So the fact that you, it doesn't necessarily surprise me then that because there's no skilled care for it. um, So it doesn't really surprise me that Medicare doesn't cover it, but I'm, I'm, I would be interested to see, I would say probably over the next 10 to 15 years, if that changes because Alzheimer's and and cancer too, I would think um, are becoming like the numbers are growing at a significant rate. So that's a good that's a good segue into looking into a private insurance company. And those were what I was talking about before, the Medicare Advantage plans or, you know, supplement replacement plans where they'll pay what Medicare might not pay. Um, they're commercial insurances. Um, some pay after Medicare and some are replacing Medicare. So um, I like the ones that pay after Medicare because then you have fewer out-of-pocket costs, but it doesn't hurt to have the ones that replace Medicare because they might have more liberal coverage on things like that. Um, or if you have like a retired plan. So if, if you got some kind of a pension and you get to keep your employer plan from your retirement, um, those are a lot more liberal on coverage. Medicare itself is meant to be um, hospital coverage and you do have limited days. So you'll have the lifetime reserve days, um, Medicare uses periods. So um, if you have so many hospital days in a period and it you don't get out of that, if you don't have enough time out of the hospital in between periods, it all counts against you. 
you might have to dip into your lifetime reserve days. So they, they do limit how many days they'll cover. And as you stay longer and longer, you have to pay more and more. So your, your daily rate will go up what you're have, what you're having to pay with Medicare. So, um, Definitely, if you're if you have a loved one that you're planning for, I can't encourage it enough to look into the replacement supplemental plans. It's more out of pocket, but it will save in the long run because inevitably, inevitably, you will have to use one of these services one day. And it's it's really unfortunate because those are the people. I mean, I I understand, but at the same time, it's kind of it makes me kind of sad because those are the people that I feel like that have the least necessary. I mean, you know what I mean? Like the, the people that are, I think back to when my grandmother was in the hospital dying of congestive heart failure and like, what are they going to do? Send her home? No, we can't send her home. Like she's, she's dying. And yeah. so, yeah, but absolutely. then the, the family is going to have to take care of all of that. And, and it's well, just, yes. it's unfortunate. Well, that brings up a question I have is like long-term care, nursing home care. So we have known people who have been injured, say in a car wreck or motorcycle wreck, they can't go home, so they have to go to some sort of facility. Like a rehab facility? A rehab facility or something like that, where they're going to need medical care ongoing, not the hospital, but... Yeah, no, we call it transitional care, and that's, okay. a, that's a good question. And actually, a, a motorcycle accident or work injury would be a, a whole different type of coverage, and we can talk about those too. But um, if you're just using your commercial insurance, those things are typically covered. So a rehab facility... Um, a skilled nursing facility, those are two places that you might get sent after, you know, you've been treated at the hospital, you're no longer critical enough for hospital care, but you definitely need nursing care, not just, you know, assisted living for seniors, but you actually need health care beyond what the hospital can give on a long-term basis. So most plans will cover those to some extent. Now, it depends by each plan what they will, and, and Medicare has its own guidelines, but they do provide coverage for that. Hmm. Speaking of rehab and the other form of rehab, you know, we talk about the opioid crisis and stuff that's going on in America. Um, what what does that look like as far as health insurance with um, not just necessarily uh, like drug rehab, but rehabilitation for, say, eating disorders or other mental health issues? So you've picked one of the biggest black holes in healthcare to talk about. And it is unfortunate. Um, I think you know, each plan, like I said, is different with commercial insurance. The The highlighted one is Medicaid. So that's what we talked about with um, they have to meet the federal guidelines, but each state can up its program. And when states expand, one of the places that they choose to use some of that extra funding for is in rehab programs. So um, I definitely advocate for those. There's not enough mental health services. I've personally had friends that needed inpatient rehab, not just outpatient services and couldn't afford it. Um, a lot of private insurances very minimally cover it, but Medicaid is the biggest one where this is an underserved population and this is an epidemic and we need more resources. So hopefully you live in one of the states that have opted to, to invest into that program. Um, so that, again, it varies by state too. So can we go back to workman's comp? When would you want to use workman's compensation and what would that cover for you? So that's a really good question, too. Um, we call those third-party liabilities. So that's workers' compensation coverage, auto coverage, and like a, a commercial liability coverage. So if you slip and fall in Walmart, they'll pay for it typically. Um, so workers' compensation is something that you're, just like your employer-sponsored insurance, they pick the plan. Um, a lot of health, or I'm sorry, a lot of uh, employers will choose just to pay it outright, and then some will 
hire a managed care organization to to handle their claims and they'll pay it out and the and the company just pays the premium just like regular insurance. So if you're injured on the job, it's up to your company to say yes, this is work related. You fill out like an injury report at the hospital and while they file that from the hospital side, your employer is responsible for filing the paperwork and saying yes, this is work related. And then it goes to a, a bureau. So each state has a different type of program. Um, here in Ohio, we have the Bureau of Workers' Compensation, and, and they review all the claims. You'll have an adjuster that looks at your claim, and um, they make the determination if it was re- work-related and what kind of benefits. So, so I'm guessing the advantage to workman's comp or workman's comp is necessary is like, so that wouldn't apply to any of your caps or co-pays or anything like that? No, in fact... Um, your health insurance will deny a claim because if it is work-related, they will not pay it at all. They'll make you go through workers' compensation. So we actually have a condition code on on a hospital bill that says this was work-related, or they can pull your medical records. They can request and they can't pull them. Um, and it'll say in there that it's work-related, so they'll deny it and force you to go through your workers' compensation route. Hmm. Hmm. Which, you know, that's typically the way you want it to go because you want your employer to pay for that if it happened on the job. And you can get lost wages, um, there's a lot that can go into it besides just your medical coverage. What if you're self-employed? Yeah, I was going to ask that. Like, what if you or what if you are the owner of a company that employs other people? So there's a certain amount of employees where you have to, you know, cover them, but you will have to pay for it out of pocket. And like Ohio has a program where they pay the first fifteen thousand dollars of a claim, and then they ask their insurance company to pay for it. So in exchange for a lower premium. Mm-hmm. So a lot of companies too just pay for it outright. They'll, you know, it, and if you're self-insured or I'm sorry, self-employed, then unfortunately you're also self-insured. So, and the same thing for smaller companies, you would just pay out of pocket. Well, so I need to not fall down the stairs when I'm self-employed. Well, you're yes. Yeah. I mean, we we have good insurance, but still. So, and this is a tough question, but why is healthcare so expensive? So healthcare is expensive because, I mean, it's... There's we have a, some of the best doctors in the world. We do. So there that plays into like the pharmacy. Why are pharmacies expensive? We have the research and development costs that other countries don't. So while we talk about going to Canada for cheaper prescriptions, there's a lot of Canadians trying to come to us for care that they can't get. You know, experimental care, the top of the line things that they might not have or things they might have to wait for that we don't. Um, we have a cost sharing aspect. So... We, we use a very commercialized product, but insurances have to cover everybody and, you know, they can't deny someone for pre-existing conditions. So while you're a 22-year-old who only sees the doctor once at a blue moon and goes for your flu shots, the, another person from the same plan has a chronic condition and, you know, they're seeing the doctor regularly. They have expensive treatments and the health insurance company has to cover all of that. So, they have to make the best cost share that they can um, where you pay part of it too. I mean, that's the whole definition of insurance. The insurance company's making a bet that this is what's going to happen and hopefully you're healthy because we may have to pay for her for the same thing with automobile insurance, I guess. Yeah, yeah. In automobile, we can, that's a good segue. Automobile actually has a medical pay too. So you can actually bill your auto insurance if you're injured um, in an auto accident. So in Ohio, it's required, but not every state requires med pay coverage, but just have the hospital bill your insurance. Yeah, I mean, we were just hit a year ago, about a year ago, and we had to open up some sort of payment through the automobile uh-huh. insurance that all the 
they oh, build the a headache. Yeah, it's, yeah, I didn't understand it. Yeah, well, that's the that therein lies why health insurance is so expensive, is nobody truly understands it. So there's a lot of administration and red tape, and there's a lot of. And that's why you have a job. And that's why, <laughs> yeah, why I have a job. But also, you're the reason healthcare is so expensive. Not me directly. <laughs> I'm here making it easier. But you know, there is a lot of a lot of moving parts to the way we have our health insurance. So Absolutely. it is expensive. Yeah. But it's, but you know what I, you know, you talk about, well, if I'm 22 and I'm healthy and I just get my flu shot, why should I have to pay for old man Steve over there who has chronic emphysema and COPD? I, have- no, I know you don't. I'm just kidding. But, but, God forbid anything should ever happen to you, healthy 22-year-old, and then the next guy's coming up behind you and taking your cost, your share of the cost. And so it it works out in the end. It does work out in the end, and it's kind of a, a champion for the why we need universal coverage of some sort because preventative care, just like a car, if you, if you keep up on the oil changes, yeah, it's cheaper up front, but you're going to prevent a lot in the, in the back. You're not going to have as much catastrophic need for it in the end health insurance is the same way so you know whether you think you need it or not by doing your routine visits and your maintenance hopefully that will say you you have a little bit better health later on in life so you might have fewer costs too okay so we try to do a really good job of not getting political we just like to tell stories and bring people like you on to explain things that are just a little bit different people have different jobs that you may not think about but one question right here, and again, if we can keep this non-political. So we are in an election cycle right now. We have a lot of people running for president. Some candidates are pushing for government health care for all. Now, I don't want to get into the politics of all that, but what would that mean if the United States did come up with a, what would that do to private insurance if we went to a health care plan for all? Okay. Well, I have some theories. Um, the candidate that's really pushing this wants to eliminate all private private insurance and go to a single payer, which would be Medicare. And I'm guessing you're not going to vote for that guy. Um, Cause no. that put you out of a job. Well, yeah, it, sort of. I mean, it would just change my job, but yeah. Um, I, I, even though this is what I do for a living, I still think that we do need universal care of some sort, but I think it's more of a hybrid system. Um, like Germany is a great example where they do have, government-sponsored care. So nobody in the country has is without health insurance. Same with Great Britain. Nobody's without health insurance, but you still have the option for employer-sponsored care and private care that goes above and beyond. Um, America, it's a sad fact, but we have the highest expenditure um, per capita for health insurance, but we have some of the lower health statistics for um, countries that are comparable to us. And a lot of that is, is that preventative maintenance that we were talking about that a lot of people don't have access to and and we don't necessarily live the most healthy lives. So there is there is an argument that if we had some kind of baseline insurance for everybody that we would actually spend less um, because we would have a healthier society as a whole, which could drop premiums in the end. Um, also, the one thing I like to point out when people talk about taxes going up, your health premium is pretty high too, so you could be that could be offset with the taxes. So you might be paying more in taxes, but you could have a lower premium. Um, so you're saying by having universal care. So what you're saying for the people who are, I'll say, on the ex- extreme right or on the right who say no, we're you know that's healthcare is not a right. You're saying that it could be beneficial for the whole company, country because if it's done right, 
it could lower health care costs for everybody. Yeah, yep. So I'm actually um, wrapping up grad school with health administration, and that's one of the biggest things that we've really looked at with a global perspective and the United States is our health health statistics, and um, they're abysmally low. So we're paying, whether we mean to or not, hospital charges are expensive because we have so many indigent patients and because we have to go through so much with insurance companies. So to streamline that, we could reduce a lot of those costs and save ourselves money in the long run. It's just a little more upfront, and we'll have to change the way we look at the whole system, which is hard to do at this point. So there's there's a balance somewhere between the far right and the far left that yeah. it could be beneficial, give people more coverage, and actually lower our costs without us becoming a socialist nation you, or yes. something like that. Do you Very think so. that's changing, though, with young the younger generations coming up? I do. Um, I do think it's changing. I do think we'll see more shift into it's it's not socialist, but more of a community sense. I think I do think that it, it is impossible, even if said candidates elected, that model is never going to happen because the hospitals can't stay afloat. Um, if you saw the operating margin for your average hospital, especially not for profit, they're not allowed to have extra funds just laying around. They all have to be tabled for something. Um, so a lot of ho- hospitals are operating on such a thin margin, they need commercial insurance to, to keep, stay afloat. So they all have like a, we call it a payer mix. So you have to have so many commercial plans that reimburse more like 40 or 50% um, to offset your Medicaids and your uninsureds. So Medicaid might pay maybe 10% of a claim. Medicare might pay 20%. And then you have all of those charity that you have to set aside and uninsured patients that you absorb. So a Medicare for all would never give the hospital the, the reimbursement that it needs to, to even stay oper- operational. And, you know, love it or hate it, we, we need them. Right. Yeah, yeah like I said, I think we probably have some of the best oh, yeah. doctors in the world. Oh, and absolutely. they, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into being a doctor. Yeah, I mean, our doctors get, you know, you see doctors without borders. Doctors go from our country and in our uh, medical system and educational system to, you know, third world countries all over the world to provide care because they're the best. They are. And truthfully, and that is, you know, please always keep that in mind that we do have a little bit higher standard when it comes to healthcare, And we do have the cutting edge research and that is absorbed. And yes, there's costs that are out out there and needlessly but a lot of it is because of that so that we do pay more for that you get what you pay for yeah well pamela we're coming up to our hour here i want to thank you for coming on and i i am better educated right now Absolutely. understanding this right now and i hope our listeners understand a lot more about health care and it's not just so as simple as it seems as like it's not what, simple what, at all it's, it's not simple at all and there's reasons why we should do things and I, I understand a lot more. As we wrap it up, do you have anything you want to, what do you want, how do you want to wrap this up with about insurance? Oh gosh, well, first of all, can I say thanks for letting me talk about health insurance <laughs> for an hour because this usually bores people to tears. So I, I don't get to talk about what I do very often. Um, so thanks for having me. And then really just know your insurance, get insurance, whether it's through Medicaid, whether it's on the marketplace, whether it's employer sponsored, um, and read the plans, read the details, and really truly know what you're buying when you get it. But bottom line, if you need health care, it's available to you. Even it if you available. have to go to the emergency room, you're going to get health care in the United States. Yep. Yes. Okay. Now, if you have any specific questions for Pamela about health insurance or uh, kind of what she does or 
questions about anything that we talked about on the show today, um, you can write to us at alosthour at gmail.com and we will be happy to forward your questions to her and get you some answers and get them back to you or maybe discuss them on the show if you want us to. Um, you can also find us on the Instagram and the Facebook on An Hour of Your Life and the Twitter at A Lost Hour. And we have a really good show planned for you next week. And I just, yeah, we do. I don't remember what our show is next week. Yeah, I'll remind you. I'm sure it's good, though. It's good. Okay, (laughs) Pamela, again, thank you for coming on the show tonight and helping people understand. Thank you. Kim, anything else we got to do? I don't think so. Okay. So, from the 13th Hour Studios in Beaver Creek, Ohio. Thanks for spending an hour of your life with us. There are no credits or citations this week. Everything we did was original.